Hey everyone, welcome back to the Business Hogs Podcast, the podcast about business, self-improvement, and economic issues. Today we're back at it in episode 21. The last time we actually released an episode was back at the end of April. So we got around eight episodes lined up for you till the end of June. So, you know, here we are. We're starting off in episode 21, Psychology and Financial Literacy, featuring Armita Hosini, who is an author of Roadmap to Financial Literacy, as well as the founder of the Empowering Economics nonprofit organization. She's got a lot of network panels. She's got a lot of public speaking ability. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. This is my second favorite episode, right behind episode 17, featuring financialism. So I hope you love this entertaining segment. And, uh, you know, let's get started. Um, yeah, well, thank you for that introduction, um, and I'm really excited to be on this podcast. So um, as it was said, I'm currently a junior in high school in Canada, and I'm finishing up my junior year, and I'm just like really interested in economics and finance and advocacy for those subjects, and I do that through, first of all, publishing my book and also through Empower Econ, as well as speaking at different events and on podcasts like I'm here right now. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's really amazing. Like, you know, I... Honestly, writing a book that that's you you just like stuck to that for like six months, just nonstop. You like work like every single day. Yeah. So I wrote the book. Well, I mean, I wrote and rewrote the book about like five to six times. So it was like a process. But a big part of it was also like graphically designing it and making sure like the layout works and doing like a lot of research, making sure it's like legit and also having like people proofread it. So it was definitely like a lot of different factors. But I really enjoyed it because it was like a fun independent project that I did. Wait, so you did the graphic design throughout this whole thing as well? Wow, that's... That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, well, I use Canva for the graphics, but like putting it together and such. You know, I definitely got to order this book. That sounds like a really nice book. I was checking out some of the reviews, actually. You know, all five stars. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> is, it on, is it on Amazon? You buy it on Amazon? Yeah, it's on Amazon. It's a little shameless plug. Yeah, see, yeah. listeners, uh, you know, check out Armita's book. It's called Roadmap to Financial Literacy. It's on Amazon. Yeah, as Devin said. Yeah, check it Question. out. Oh, sorry. Go um, ahead. What inspired you to write this book? I think for me, I, well, I mean, the decision was first to write a book and I had no idea what I wanted to write it about because like I wanted to write a book since I was like really young and during quarantine, there was like nothing else to do. And I was being like on TikTok all day. So I was like, let me do something. So I decided to uh, write a book and I was thinking about like, what topic can I write about? And I felt like a lot of subjects like chemistry and physics and like all these subjects they teach you in school, but so many schools like don't teach how to manage your money or how these topics like even work. And a lot of high school students just come out of high school having like no idea what to do or they have like a lot of misconceptions and if they had this like knowledge beforehand then they could make a lot of better decisions so that's kind of like what made me interested in wanting to write it like about finance specifically and it was like um I had a conversation like with one of my family members about finance and after that that's kind of like how I had the decision to write it about finance I don't know this is like real interesting actually I actually tried to like write a book like I was like yeah I tried to write a book it was called ceiling thoughts it was like you know, you ever hear those thoughts about like, you know, you're just, it's like 3 a.m. in the morning and you're doing like, you know, a push or something. And then you're just like, <laughs> you're doing like your a push notes and you're like, you're, you're questioning life. Like, it's like, yes, you know, your midnight thoughts. Over here. I tried, I wrote like a page and I was like, you know, this is a, uh, you know, what more can I write on this? Like, you know, this is just, this is a, this is a nice book. Like, you know, I was really impressed with myself. Like, I remember FaceTiming Devin. I was like, you know, can I read you my book? And he was like, damn, this is a nice ass book. I so, said that. Yeah, you, you said this is a really It was like book. a paragraph. It was a page, okay? It was not a paragraph, but, you yes, know. Yes, Philosopher Wong over here. 
<laughs> yeah. But which which resources did you use to compile all this stuff within your book? So um, in terms of like creating it, as I mentioned earlier, I used Canva to make it. So I first typed it like on a Google document and then I went to put it on Canva and I realized I had written like way too much because it was like just too much because I wanted to make it like a relatively short book. It's like 48 pages and that would like come out to be 100. So I was like, I need to cut this down. And that's why like I had to do a lot of reduction in terms of the content when I put it on Canva. Did you like, did you trim different kinds of content or you just like condense how you worded things or like how'd you go, how'd you go about like reducing it? Well, I reduced like the topics that I discussed, like for instance, um, like in my book, I don't discuss debit cards, which was something I was initially planning on discussing. And that took like a lot of pages or I didn't talk about like as many investments because I wanted it to serve like as more of an introduction as opposed to like an in-depth book about like so many different aspects of finance. So I really condensed like the amount of information and also like the depth of it to make it like a more like holistic book. And then also, uh, where'd you get like the credible research from? For yeah, your book? so that's. Yeah, that's something that I was like really keen on to make sure like number one, like the content was credible. So I use like a lot of different resources to like research. I had like prior knowledge from like learning about it on my own, but like I researched like a lot of articles. And when I was done, I started to like message people who were like experts in finance who could proofread it. So I had like a university professor proofread it. And then I had like a lot of um, college graduates who had like studied finance and accounting and they like provided feedback and everything. And that like helped me reassure that it was credible content that I could like put out there wait oh did you did you start empowering economics during the same time of this um no i started that a while later like i published my book in september and i was not planning on starting an organization but then i had this like idea to just host events and i like thought of starting empower econ and i started that like in near the end of october like the beginning of november i believe really yeah that's i don't know like in this book i know you were talking about financial literacy and stuff so you were talking about like how people acted like when it came to spending money, things like that, right? Their their psych their psychological mindset, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I so. think that. Okay, I can go ahead. So yeah, no, um, basically, say, yeah. with finance, I think like one aspect of it is helping people understand the information because I feel like a lot of times when people read my book or they like attend one of my events, they're kind of like taken aback by concepts such as like, I don't know, compound interest when saving or like how investing works. So I think one aspect of it is the knowledge you have. But in order to be able to like actually apply that and be able to like be financially responsible, you also need to like have like financially responsible habits. And I think that a big part of like finance and financial literacy is the psychology. And I think this is something that we also need to talk about more more is like beyond just providing the knowledge helping people apply it in the in their lives i feel like also too like a lot of teens who are like people are starting to get, get into financial literacy more nowadays but i feel like for a lot of teens like with the psychology aspect it's like it's really daunting because there's like so many different things that like so many different terms that you like might like need to know like how to use and this that so i feel like your book is really useful for that because it like kind of puts everything into one place so you don't really have to go looking around for like the information, everything, like everything's already done for you. You just have to kind of like internalize it. So like, that's really helpful too. And I feel like uh, that, that would definitely make more teens a lot more motivated to start learning about financial literacy. Wait, okay. So you said you worked on this book for six months. Like you ever like look at those motivational pages on Instagram? They're like, oh yeah, six oh months, just hustle, grind nonstop. <laughs> you got to go entrepreneur mode. Yeah, so was that I your mentality? I saw that this morning, by the way. I saw a post. Yes, like that. I know. <laughs> I see that every single day on my feed, and I was like, you know, you worked on this for six months. Maybe she followed that. You know, people people making changes in their life these days. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think that with like six months, that sort of mentality can kind of be flawed because when you're doing things like this, you're not just doing it for a one-time thing. You want to like maintain success over the long term. So if you're like working super hard for six months and then you burn yourself out, then you're not able to continue. So I think for me, like I didn't work on it as much during the beginning because it was like during the school year, but I spent like more time in the summer working on it. And I feel like the summer is like when it became a finished product. So those like two to three months were like the like most intensive work period. Whereas before I worked on it, like maybe I would say like two hours a day, like give or take. I don't really know. But yeah, a good amount of time. Yeah. Like you, you ever hear that saying 30 days to build a habit, 90 days to build a lifestyle? Yeah. Nice job. That was good. <laughs> How did you go about revising? You said you revised it like five, six times within that that span right how'd you how'd you go about doing that within like six months that's like that's crazy (laughs) yeah well you know like as I said earlier the first time I just wrote it it was on a google document but then when I put it on canva um a lot of the things that I had to change is like if I decided to change the dimensions of the book like for instance the dimensions are like a really important thing that I think when people buy a book they don't really think about like how many inches is this but I think that's like a really important thing when you're like publishing so thinking about the dimensions and then how big the margins were going to be and then how it's going to be laid out on the page like really change the information the graphics and so I think like changing that many times if like deciding to change the size of the book rewording the content and I kind of really wanted to make it like kind of like a story like thing as opposed to just giving people a bunch of facts and I think like working on that several times and that's kind of what I did yeah I feel like so much more interesting like when people tell a story like it's so entertaining like some people yeah. have some real like you ever like watch stand-up comedy and, and like everyone's like telling a story about their lives mm-hmm. you know like that's so awesome because like you know I, I there's like a lot of stand-up comedy people who actually like write books because like they they can tell amazing stories and yeah I think that telling stories is really important because like give people a bunch of facts as like you want to give them a holistic idea that they can like walk away with by the end of reading the book and that's like a mentality that I just kind of had from the beginning to the end is like not just making a book filled with facts but something that people can gain like a story from so yeah I definitely agree with that (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, I feel like also with the I know like you were talking about like the margins of the books and like the size of the pages and everything I feel like for the for an introduction style book like what you wrote I feel like that's also really helpful within psychology also. I feel like if the pages are, like, really small and the font is, like, really small, like, yeah, there can be graphics in college, but, like, if everything's really small and, like, hard to read, then you kind of get a little bit, you know, like, more intimidated where, like, I feel like if it's more like a children's book style almost, Mm -hmm. it's, like, more inviting. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And that's something that I really focused on. Um, because I feel like a lot of finance books can seem quite intimidating because they have like a huge number of pages and there are these like small books and that's kind of something I focused on with my book is making it like more approachable I guess through making it more similar to a children's book as opposed to like a super like dense and heavy book that would like take you ages to understand and read yeah like honestly I it was just I don't know for me like I when I was studying for my AP exams like this really like ties in it was like when I read the Princeton Review book, I was like so bored. Like it was like, you know, oh yeah, you know, ADAS model, uh, you know, like it was just it was just, <laughs> it, was just <laughs> it was just really boring. And I remember I was like, you know, it took me like 10 minutes to get through the first page, and I was like, ah, oh, this is just oh my. And then honestly, it was just like when they when people were relating this to like real world issues, but on a more visual level, like a more listening level, I, I thought that was like so much better. But, you know, I liked how you uh, you tied this into – did you mention, like, personal stories in here? Um, no, I didn't mention, like, personal stories. It was more so, like, the reader is the person who's making the decision 
kind of like you're in their shoes and you're like walking through the process. So one part of the book specifically is about like mortgages and like purchasing a home. So kind of my approach with that is like someone who's reading it, they like place themselves in the shoes of someone who's purchasing a home and they understand like the process of it step by step. So that's like how I portrayed it. Yeah, I feel like that's how a lot of like self-improvement books go as well because they're always like yeah. telling multiple stories. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's like really cool though. That's so, cool. Like, actually. What... I like the concept. Yeah, I know, right? It's yeah. It's like uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a collection of stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so like when when you were writing this book, like what did you learn about people? Like, you know, their decisions, their actions, their mindset, honestly. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think that's kind of when I was doing like research for this book and the process of writing it, that's what like made me realize how important like financial psychology is. Because a lot of the research that I was doing, it was about like how to influence people um, to like make them want to save their money or how can you like teach them the importance of this. And so like, I feel like people can know how to like that saving money is important or how to invest, but they're still not going to do it unless they're incentivized to and they like um, internalize that in a way. So that's something that I kind of like learned about when I was writing this book as well. Yeah. <laughs> what do people in your, like, do people in your school know that you wrote a book about financial literacy? Well, yeah, she only got I like 700 like... likes on her Instagram post. Why the chat? But wow. I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like everyone, like, at my school kind of knows me as, like, that finance girl is kind of the name that I've gotten is, like, what people see from like my Instagram but I feel like a lot of my followers are not even from my own high school it's like people from the U.S. that I kind of just like follow so I feel like it's more of like an online presence as opposed to an in-person presence if that really yeah honestly yeah. I I actually was um I was so I was doing this p-club presentation and I remember like we went to do like this about me thing it was like it was like the first introduction or something and I remember I put like oh yeah my favorite book is Rich Dad Poor Dad it inspired <laughs> me to make a podcast and everyone calls me business boy now it's pretty cool it's pretty cool yeah, it is cool. <laughs> it's given me like, I don't know, I feel like it's a big part of my identity is just like financial education advocacy. Like, that's just kind of what it's turned to in the past year or so. How old were you when you, the, uh, when you wrote the book? Well, I was like, okay, so I started writing it when I was 15. And I published it like a week before I turned 16. So when I was still 15, and I'm still 16. now, so Oh, Devin, we got to get on top of our game, man. Yeah. <laughs> we got to step it up on the podcast. Wait, how many publishers did you have to go through to get it published? Oh, I did it through Amazon KDP. So I feel like a lot of people don't know this, but the publishing process is really easy if you do it through Amazon KDP. Like the writing the book is like the important part, and then you can just publish it. Wait, can you so explain the how that works? Entry is like quite low, if that makes sense. Can you can you explain how that system works? Because I've never I've never heard of that. Okay, so let me explain this. Basically, with like um, self-publishing, you can publish your own book on Amazon, um, and they have like guidelines on how to like make the margins and dimensions and how to make it like a normal book. And they like go through your book to approve like that the content is legit and you're not like making like ten like a hundred pages that are just like blank and publishing it. But they make sure that it's like good, and then they let you publish it. So I didn't go through traditional publishing. I feel like that is like a much lengthier process that can cost like tens of thousands of dollars. I did not go down that route. But yeah, I feel like a lot of people don't know that. It's like the barrier to entry is like quite low, but you got to first like write the book. Devin, you got to start taking some notes. <laughs> well, you're the one who already has like a shower thoughts down on a piece of paper. Ceiling thoughts. Okay. God, at least you get the name right, man. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> yeah, but what do you think is like the biggest thing you learned from writing this novel? 
on like financial literacy? I think I learned a lot of things. So when I was like doing this, I created this like Google document and on the document, I like listed everything that I was learning from like the process. And I haven't looked at it in a while, so I don't really remember what I wrote, but I remember I was like learning a lot. I think the biggest thing is it just helped me like um, see the world on like a more micro level, if that makes sense. Like I was thinking about so many things when I was like picking up a book, I was like thinking about the margins of the book and like the page and the amount of like hard work that went into creating it in a way that I never saw it before. So I think that was like really interesting to me. Yeah. Did you use use, like case studies for any of like the situations in your book, like scenarios or anything like that? No, that's actually something I'm interested in doing with a future book because I want to write more books. So I was thinking of doing something on investing and doing like case studies. Did, um, did you have to hire an editor to like edit your book or you just did it yourself? No, I did it myself. As for the proofreading, I like cold emailed people and asked them if they could read my books. So that's kind of how I got like free proofreaders. But like I went through it myself and they went through it too and they made some comments and everything. And yeah. Did any of your friends like proofread your book for you? No, I did not tell anyone. That's like the funny thing. Oh. When I published it, everyone was like really shocked because they were like, oh my god. Hmm. Did you are your parents into like financial literacy also? Or is that just like um, something that you wanted to do? No, that's something I wanted to do. Everyone in my family is a doctor, so this is like very different from what my family does. <laughs> yeah, who can relate? My parents are into one thing i swear every single time i go upstairs from work in my basement this is the first thing they say they're like they're like have you taken your first sat practice test yet the only thing they're talking about <laughs> with me is the sat or school yeah. it's so like, even like, it's like even like some like i have a really big family like we're like an older family i get like i have a lot of older cousins we're like their 20s and like early 30s almost so like even like the people who like don't really speak english know from having kids they'll just be like sat sat <laughs> background there are like 10 sat books there i just saw that yeah i know yeah, you, you gotta love my parents always you know buy me like yeah it's, it's like it's oh my god juiced up on the sat books what right now i'm still chilling i don't have the essay i'm not yeah, yeah. this freshman, man so. is a freshman he's going to be a sophomore he's yeah. chilling. <laughs> wow he, he's really young he's a really young boy yeah, yeah. this might be a stupid question but do you got you guys take the sat in canada too right Oh no, God. we don't take you it. Don't, if you right? want to come don't? To this is like the time Devin went up to the real estate investor and he was like, Do you invest? No, in I didn't thing? say that. No. <laughs> Wait, how does it? So, you guys, do you have any like standardized tests, like college admissions tests? No, in Canada? we just have this like graduation test if you want to like get your diploma, which is like a literacy test and it's like really easy. It's like a very dumbed down version of the SAT. However, this year it's canceled because of coronavirus and you yeah. have a degree or <laughs> free diploma. I don't know if that's, like, lucky or it's not, but, like, like so now they just uh, require your GPA and your, like, out or your extracurricular? Yeah. Or- I'm also going to be applying to the U.S., so. Oh, yeah. nice. Here, you can't even take the SAT because it's all closed. The centers are, like, all shut down because of coronavirus. Oh, God. Yeah, like, I have a friend who, she's, like, a junior right now, but she tried applying for the SAT. Like, she literally, she's taking one in August, like, right now, but. She um she applied five times. She didn't couldn't get it. She couldn't get like a school. It um I don't know if you know. But my sister went to South Carolina to go take her SATs, and wow. we live in wow. Jersey. It was oh, like really money. Yeah, yeah. She's not here anymore. But oh dang, she just left. <laughs> Wait, so I'm assuming if the process is like the same for the ACT too in Canada, it's probably like difficult to take it right now. Yeah, and ACT is much less like prominent, so they only have like one or two centers or something. So even the worse. 
What college are you looking at in the U.S.? Well, my dream school is Stanford, so. Oh, in, in Cali? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. You want, and you want to do, yeah, Stanford Business School is like really, I mean, Stanford, everything's like really nice, but especially uh, their business school. Yeah, they have really like cool. really great programs and everything. And I like how it's like a very entrepreneurial place because that kind of aligns with what I want to do. So, oh, yeah, like the people, who, uh, yeah, like actually, like, yeah, like digging deeper with this, like, there's like a lot of people, like, I know a lot of seniors, they get into like really good schools, but they choose like the financially best option for them. So are you like when like you you wrote a book on financial literacy so you're like all about developing positive financial habits. So you know do you what do you think about this? Like do you think it's a better it's a better thing to like like let's say you get into Stanford. Like would you would you like rather go to Stanford, pay the $70,000 tuition each year or do you think it's better to go to like a lower tier school and pay pay less tuition and get a scholarship? What do you think? Like because there's people have like very different views on views on this. That's a really good question. I think that one thing with top schools is that if you do get in, typically people end up paying less than if they went to a state school because of the amount of financial aid that they give. But if someone were to pay like the whole price, I feel like it just kind of depends on what they're going to be studying. Like I feel like one really important thing is the correlation between your major and like the debt that you're going under. Because if you get a major that's like going to pay you like $20,000 after college and you're like in $70,000 worth of debt, that's like not good. But if you're getting like a major that's paying you like $150,000, then in comparison, it's definitely like a better decision. So I think this is something that in general, people need to think about is like the correlation between well, their like, major, the job they get and also their debt. Yeah. There are a lot of, yeah, there are a lot of people who get financial aid, but like that's, those are people like, what about people who are like middle-class and are making family combined income of over $100,000? What do you think? Yeah, like, what, I think yeah. with that, yeah, I think that I feel like a lot of people do turn it down. And personally, I would make the decision to potentially turn it down if I was in that situation. Isn't like four years of college in Canada equivalent to like roughly one year, give or take, uh, in the U.S.? Yeah, in Canada, it's like much cheaper, like a lot cheaper, like maybe $11,000 a year or something. Damn, that's like literally one year at like Harvard. Yeah, I think one of my favorite YouTubers, he graduated at like University of Toronto, I think. Oh really? Who? Karma medic. Oh. And then he went to King's College. Yeah. That's crazy though. Yeah, I know Seven, exactly. Right. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. What well, What are your thoughts on that? Like how expensive colleges? Like I don't know how much you know about this, but like how mm-hmm. like much more expensive colleges in the U.S. compared to pretty much every other country. Yeah, I think it's absolutely, like, ridiculous the amount of costs, like, they have in the U.S. Like, even in Canada, a lot of people go under a lot of student loan debt, but still, like, in the U.S., it's absolutely crazy, and I think that they can definitely reduce it. Like, I feel like universities really operate like businesses, like... Yeah, the college, like, a lot of things that have to do with college in the U.S. are really corrupt. Like, the price (laughs) is so, like, abstract that, like, let's say, let's say you're going to take, like, three credits, and let's say, this is, like, really abstract, like, let's say you're going to take three credits... And they charge you like twenty thousand for it. They could charge you like sixty thousand or like a thousand, maybe even like five hundred. And like you know, you really would never know what the best value is. So I feel like there's a lot of that going on too. Eric, what do you yeah. think? Yeah, what? I definitely agree with that. And I feel like the whole college admissions industry, there are a lot of people making profit at so many different like places. Like I see college counselors who are like charging you $10,000 for like six months to get you into college. And I see people like, it's just a lot of like money that's being spent 
Yeah, one of my friends actually he had this like really amazing idea. He's like in college now, so he he saw that like these these companies like college prep they're costing like ten thousand dollars, and he's like, you know what? What if we have people who got into these Ivy leagues? They all gather together and they form a whole organization where they can charge like under a thousand for these kids, and they just went through the college admissions process, so they're more relatable to the people yeah, applying to college. This is actually like one of the biggest things I hope to be able to do. Regardless, yeah, of I know, like, right? Yeah, it's amazing. I really want to do this because it makes me really sad i like see and i'm not going to name any like specific um like company or whatever here but i see these like different college counselors using not only like the dream of people trying to get into ivy leagues but also like their lack of confidence in themselves because i feel like in this process a lot of people like doubt themselves or have like i don't know like i think the psychology again here is like really important and they yeah uh-huh. what, i was about to just say that them. yeah <laughs> yeah they convince people that you need to pay them to feel like empowered and you pay like four thousand dollars for a program and now you feel like you're going to get into your dream college but like high school students can do things and get can get into these universities without having to pay this money like they really need to be able to like have more confidence in their own abilities and it makes me really sad that people go under like so much financial strain to be paying these people who pretend to like care about them so this is something i'm like really passionate about oh cool (laughs) um also wait what was i gonna say you know honestly i think that um (laughs) i'm sorry i hate when this happens it's tradition devin you know it's not tradition no we do it every episode. It's it's really nah. for me. For me, yeah. What was I gonna say? <laughs> but I don't know. Honestly, me personally, I I don't really think it matters where you go to college. Like if you're mm-hmm. going to major in like pre med or like engineering or yeah. like pharmacy or something like that. Because like if you're a doctor, let's say you major in cardiology or something, or you pursue that route, you're like mm-hmm. coming out of there in the, like the top three percent of financially stable people and then but the thing is if you major in business something like that then you got to come out of like, yeah. a really high tier school to get accepted into these like big firms like goldman sachs i mm-hmm. I heard this study that they only they mostly majorly they accept people as majority majorly yes they mostly majority. accept people out of like nyu umich and upenn wharton and oxford of course mm-hmm. yeah so i feel like um dang it I hate when this happens. Bro, I forgot my thought again. Devin forgets a lot of things, man. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, honestly. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I feel like that there's, like, trade-offs to everything, honestly. There's mm-hmm. – if you – maybe, like, let's say you go to an amazing college, then the trade-off, like, let's say you're not financially stable, you have to pay student loans. That's, like – that's the that's the problem. That, that's the that's – the, and then the opportunity cost of that would be, like, you know – you you don't go to that good college and you don't have to pay those student loans but you like that college could really help you out in life so i feel like that applies to everything like i'm i honestly like i remember i was about to pull an all-nighter the other day i'm like what's the trade-off what's like let's do marginal analysis no no you're not you you did not contemplate the trade-off let's no let's use unit one i'm like let's weigh out the cost and the benefits here the cost the, the, the benefits, you know, I get to study longer, you know, maybe I feel more prepared for my exam. And what's the trade-off? You know, like, I feel very... Your cognitive thinking skills are going to be at a Devin five, bullies zero. me. That's, that's, a, that's an opportunity cost. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Devin just admitted to it, too. So, sure. you know, yeah, like, honestly, I feel like that applies everywhere. And especially, especially in the psychology of financial literacy, I feel like that's a key component. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I think because of that, you can't just say, oh, like, don't go to the college or go to the college, because I feel like it's really a personal decision based on, like, your own values and what you want to pursue and, like, what it means to you. Because if you want to compare, like, the cost of attending versus the benefits you get, one is qualitative and the other is quantitative, and you can't, like, give a like clear answer. So you have to, like, really weigh it in the context of your own life and your own goals. I feel like all, I, remember, I remember what I was going to say before. I was going to talk about networking. I feel like also if you're not going to pay for like a college like counselor or, two or something like that, networking is also a great way to like help yourself get into colleges because you kind of like mm-hmm. show them your enthusiasm and that like you're like dedicated. And I feel like that's yeah. also kind of overlooked. Okay, wait, big question of the day, like question of the day here. Do you think like people argue that going to a top tier university? Oh, my like, God. What? Bruh. <laughs> You know I this was gonna that. come up. You mentioned you literally, you know. You yeah, but I, okay. But <laughs> when yeah, do you think going going to a top tier university, like people argue that it builds better connections because you're with people, like you're with a lot of people who are gonna end up at like really successful places. So, do you think that's like the most major benefit of going to a good school, the networking capabilities? I thought you were gonna say something else. Oh what? Oh dang. <laughs> yeah, this is something I also think about and like always debate in my mind is like, what is the biggest benefit? I feel like there are. Like, that is one benefit, but I feel like the name of the school, a lot of people say the, like, name of where you go doesn't matter, but I feel like in our society, a lot of people have this, like, subconscious yearning for prestige, and so when you hear that someone went to, like, another university, you suddenly look at them better, or, like, you treat them better, and that's not, like, a good thing, but it is something that exists in our society. Well, think about it. It's how the world works. Like, if that's how the world works, then you have to fit in with society, because when you fit in... (laughs) If you fit in with society in that sense, that can lead you to better opportunities. But I don't think that's 100% true because when you're 40, you're not looking back, oh, I went to Harvard College. You should let me into your your uh, business. Like, no, the thing. No, is, no, okay. no, no. But think about this, though. When you're 40, no one cares where you went to college. But exactly. it's all about where you start off. Like, you're going to get, you're most likely just thinking about this logically. If you go from, like, let's say you go to Harvard University versus some, like, you know, crappy school. Like, let's say you go out of Harvard University, you get a very high-paying job right off the bat, and that can lead you to greater opportunities by the time you're 40. Mm-hmm. No, but, to, but just because very, you're no, 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 Devin, you're going to get a job, Let though. me talk. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, like, let's say you go to a very low-tier school, and then you have a, like, you have a starting salary that's, like, much lower. Let's say the Harvard person's up here. I, everyone who's listening, I'm, I'm putting my hand up. And then, <laughs> yeah, so, like, Harvard's, like, all the way up here. They're near the ceiling. And then someone, like, starts with a salary, like, from a lower-tier school. They're, like, all the way down here. They're, like, they're near the floor. It's, like... You're, you're starting off somewhere lower and then you have to build yourself from somewhere lower. And the advantage is by going to Harvard, you literally build yourself. You're starting from someplace higher and that can lead you to greater things in yeah, your life. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Arsh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. yeah. I mean, okay. I mean okay. just because you went to Harvard, that doesn't mean that you're going to get hired necessarily. I know. If you're like a terrible, terrible like, chances. yeah, that's if, a good point. It increases your chances. Yeah. But like, if you're, like, a really closed-off person who's, like, you know, like, yeah. not really, like, they don't have, like, good, like, social skills or, like, they don't really, really like being. Extroverted. No, no, not even, not even being, like, introverted or extroverted. But, it's like, you know, if you're, if you're like, that type of person and you still go to Harvard, your chances aren't any higher than somebody who went to, like, a slightly lower college but, like, has better social experience. Well, that's why they always say it depends that. on you as a person. You know what I mean? Like... So what I just... <laughs> yeah, of, co- of course. Like, yeah. 
but like one thing I see is with people who don't go to like a prestigious college and they are really successful like um and I mean college students that are like currently online or have an online presence they've really had to work a lot harder to like get themselves to that point whereas I feel like when you get into like Harvard or Stanford um you get that platform like you see that with like college YouTubers as soon as they make like a how I got into blank video they get like 10,000 followers oh yeah, um, yeah. And that's something that they like they're already they have that big platform and then they like start to grow from there whereas someone who went to a college that like most people haven't heard about they need to like work hard and network and constantly put themselves out there to hopefully one day build themselves up that's like one thing but i feel like you can go to like a lower school but as long as you're hard working you can mm-hmm. probably be higher than someone that's uh that went to harvard dude think about this though everyone there's a lot of people in life that are hard working and you know like if you ever if you ever look at motivational pages like if you if everyone like if working hard made you rich then everyone with a nine to five would be rich because you, you know people with nine to fives they work hard don't they i mean yeah, they, it, they, they, it also comes with a little bit of luck obviously mm-hmm. uh, yeah obviously yeah well, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah obviously yeah but you know it's like well, I, I forgot what i was saying oh my goodness <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow stuff happens Devin. you haven't said anything yeah how does it feel now what <laughs> okay uh-huh yeah um let's see what was i gonna say there's something about dang it just happened again didn't it oh no 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 oh wait what kind of stuff do you do with your nonprofit? i completely forgot to ask you about that Okay, sure. So with Empower Econ, like the biggest thing that we do right now, and we do want to venture out into like other things because I have some ideas for like new projects. But currently what we focus on is we host like three day financial education camps or events where people come in and they learn about like different financial and economic topics. They hear from like a lot of different guest speakers um, who are like financial experts and they're entrepreneurs, leaders and um, also, some are professors, and then we also have, like, a lot of different activities that they can, like, um, use the knowledge that they've gained through our events to, like, actually apply that knowledge through, like, simulations and games and things that they do. So, that's, like, kind of the gist of it. Hmm. And how long did it take you to get your nonprofit, like, up and running? Like, from, like, the idea to, like, actually, like, doing stuff within it? Yeah, that's a good question. For me, like, whenever I have an idea, I feel like there's a big buffer time between when I have the idea and when I actually, like, act on it. So I had this idea, like, a few, I think, like, about a month and a half before I actually started to pursue it. So it was, like, a lot of planning because I had never but I was like really interested in doing it because I felt like it was just like a really fun thing especially with like everything being online so I had this idea and I think it took me a few weeks before I actually like pursued it yeah I know that's I, I think that's like really interesting I think Eric Eric wanted to start a non-profit too or like we know a lot of people um in no, our I didn't like, want to start a non-profit no no, no there's, there's a lot of people there's a lot of people in our grade can you guys still hear me all right there, there was a lot of people in our grade who were like trying to start non-profits but like they were just kind of doing it just to get into college. Like, they weren't really, like, you know, like... I know a dude who started a nonprofit organization trying to feed the hungry, but he didn't know how to feed the hungry. Oh, wait, no, we can't feed anybody. It's okay. Yeah, that person he, will remain anonymous. They will remain oh, like, un- That's That's another thing that I don't like about the college, like, mm-hmm. like just, like, the whole yeah. college admissions process. Like, people will, like, do stuff just to get into college, whereas, yeah. like, you know, nobody's tugging on their heartstrings yeah. telling well, them to, like, you can, think start about a nonprofit. 
think of it, you can use this to your advantage because you know, like it, it's a marketing strategy. Like you know, people, what do what do high schoolers want? Like ask yourself this: they want internships, they want leadership positions, they want awards, they want everything they can yeah. to stand out to college. So why don't you create a nonprofit organization that offers this? That's why that's why there's so many like nonprofit organizations that offer incentives to someone, such as like I know an organization that offers like study guides for every single AP. It offers incentive to someone and when you offer incentive, big things happen. Yeah, exactly. Like with our events, um like I found people wanted certificates, so we started providing certificates even though that was not something I was planning to initially do, but then I found a lot of people wanted that and were incentivized by it. So I was like, okay, sure, we'll provide certificates. Or Oh no, it's like me and a group of people. So basically how I founded the team is like oh, I'm um, sorry to interrupt of- you. I I I was getting a call, so I'll be back in like a second. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what is this unprofessionalism? I'm sorry. I apologize. Oh my goodness. Oh, man. No, you guys keep going. Just like, don't wait for me. De- Devin, you, you know, you're making me edit a lot of these things out, man. Come on, my goodness. No, dude. No, don't wait for me. <laughs> uh, are you kidding? My mom's texting me about what history class is easier. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, wait, Arsh, do you have anything to add? You want to like say something? Me or. Wait, I didn't hear you. Arsh, Arsh, Arsh. Oh, uh, yeah. Just, I was just wondering, um, how many like how many people you have working for you or working with you? Okay, so I have like, um, basically we have like a team of about like twenty to twenty-five people who work like like in the main team, and then we have like a bunch of ambassadors who promote the event. So that team can like the ambassadors change every time we have an event, but it's typically from like sixty to seventy people who just like market the event, and that's basically the core focus of what they do. And how I found these people is after they found out about like my book, that was something that like they knew about and they had like messaged me, they had attended like some of the workshops that I had spoken at and they were just like really interested in what I was doing. So they were like, if you're doing any projects, I'd love to work with you. So when I decided to start Empower Econ, I just messaged these people and I was like, hey, are you interested in joining the team? And that built like marketing and event planning roles. And since then people have like applied to join the team or once they like attend one of our events, they're really interested in helping make the next one happen. So then they applied to join the team and that's kind of how we're expanding. That's, that's crazy so so just 60 people just asked to join that oh no what we do with like the 60 people is on the sign up form for our event there's a question which asks like would you like to be an ambassador and so the people who select yes we follow up with them and ask them and um if they confirm it then they join the team and they start promoting the event so we provide them with like marketing materials and such and they just like spread it in their communities <laughs> yeah i've like, seen marketing mm-hmm. from our end is difficult yeah i've seen like a non a lot of nonprofit organizations they market themselves to creating like several teams like i know one nonprofit organization they got like a course planning team they got an executive board they got a chapter head team that like you know starts different clubs of their nonprofit organization around the country like you know i feel like that's an amazing way to market that's like that's like really cool because you get to get people involved and like also get your engagement up as you like recruit more mm-hmm. people on your squad yeah, that's definitely true. And I think a lot of people can pursue their own interests. Like our marketing director is super passionate about marketing and she works as like a marketing director for many different organizations. And so um, they get to like develop their own skills and they enjoy working for the nonprofit. So I really like that. <laughs> yeah.
yeah so that basically wraps up episode 21 you know armita came in she got a she had a lot of amazing insight on the psychology of financial literacy i hope you enjoyed this episode we have episode 22 comparing careers featuring you for business releasing in a couple of days so you know be on the lookout for that as well as the self-made millionaire featuring jim shulong releasing a couple of days after that so you know just i hope you enjoyed this episode and uh yeah stay tuned